God. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three, yet one. Truth and grace. Power and sacrifice. Conviction and peace. He is the creator of the universe. But I know him personally. Have you met him? He is vastly personal. A mysterious yet clear presence. A bridge. A connection. The Holy Spirit, God himself. Through him, our insignificance is transformed by significant love. Have you seen him? He is invisibly present. His work is evident, palpable. He reaches into our mortal world and embraces us, changes us. Have you heard him? He speaks truth, an intimate tension between the spiritual and physical, connecting creation with creator. Do you know him? Simply profound, vastly personal, invisibly present. Over the last several weeks, we've been going through what I like to call the holy place of Scripture. John chapters 13 through 17, we've almost neared the completion of the holy place of Scripture. Next week, we're going to wrap up this little section and get into what I like to call the holy of holies of Scripture in John chapter 17. But this is the only place in the whole Bible where you find these teachings right here where Jesus is having a private conversation right before he's about to be arrested and crucified about the promised gift that he is ready to give them, a gift that 50 days from this point they're going to receive on the day of Pentecost. And so there's several new things, new realities that these guys can expect as a part of this gift that God is going to give them, a new commandment to be able to love other people the same way that Jesus loves us. A new relationship with God where He comes not only to live inside of us, but He promises that He'll go and prepare a place for us so that when we die, we get to be with Him so that way we're never without Him. We're with Him here. We're with Him there. A new day when all these things are going to begin on the day of Pentecost. A new prayer life where if you pray according to the will of the Father, according to the mission of Jesus, He makes a promise to you. And He says, I will do it. And then a new teacher, we talked about him last week, how the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives is to teach us and to remind us and to guide us and to show us and to move us into truth and even sometimes show us things that are yet to come. You ever heard the phrase, it's a gift that keeps on giving? I think about that when I think about the Holy Spirit. 
because it's a gift that, that, that keeps on giving so many incredible and powerful things. God loves to give us because He wants us to always live inside of His presence. And so that's why I always encourage everyone. That's why I teach 95.5 time. That's why I teach biblical meditation and spiritual disciplines. Because when you look at those two things, those are two ways in which we can draw near to God to be able to seek His presence. Last week I, I, I had a couple handouts I gave out. One on how to study the Bible and the other handout was on how to hear the voice of the Spirit or how to encounter the Holy Spirit. There were several people here last week, more than I thought, and there was not enough handouts, but I have them in the very back. I made some more copies. I know there was a few of you that wanted some copies. But I do these things. I teach these, these spiritual practices because Jesus intended his disciples. He, he intended all of us, every single one of his disciples, to understand and experience this incredible gift that we've been given, known as the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, in my view, is the greatest gift that's ever been given to man. Now, some people would disagree. They'd say, well, have you ever heard of John 3.16? Isn't Jesus the greatest gift that's ever been given to man? And I would say, yes, I agree. For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son. That's an incredible gift. But if you keep reading the passage, you'll realize that the reason why He gave His only begotten Son was not the end. It was a means to an end. You read the whole verse, it says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but what? Have everlasting life. That's the gift, the main gift that He wants to give you. The gift of eternal life. The gift of being able to have eternal life come to live on the inside of us. And so Jesus' death is not an end. It's a means to an end. It's a means so that the presence of God can be in your life, or more accurately, so that your sins can be forgiven, so that your temple can be made clean, so that the presence of the Father can come in and live in you, so that you can live with the Father. See, the gift of the Holy Spirit is the gift of eternal life. You understand this, right? So often we, we kind of get, I don't know, I, 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 I tend to say we get churchitis. We tend to read churchy things with churchy ways of reading things, and, and we miss the point of what he's saying. We say, well, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but receive eternal life. And we think eternal life is a concept. It's a principle. It's something we should debate and parse and pick apart and have the right theology on. And what we miss is that eternal life is a divine community. Think about that. Eternal life is a divine community of people, of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. They are life. They are eternal. And so the gift is, is that they, the divine community, gets to come in and live inside of us. The Father comes inside. The Son comes inside through the operation of the Spirit. They come to live inside of us and they begin a process of transformation in our lives the moment they come inside. Does that kind of make sense, right? They are eternal life. So when eternal life comes to make a home inside of you, well, guess what? That's going to have an effect on your current life, isn't it? When eternal life comes inside your life, then you're going to start to notice that things are going to begin to change. Well, guess what? That leads us to the sixth new thing that comes because of the Spirit. Now, we're going to do two more today. Two more new things. I'm going to reveal number six and number seven. 
Next week, we're going to wrap up John 13 through 17. We've got one final new thing that we're going to look at, and it's the biggest of all. I can't wait to share that with you next Sunday. But for this morning, we've got uh, this new thing I want to show you right here. The sixth new thing that we can expect because of the indwelling Holy Spirit is a new fruitful life. A new and fruitful life. Now, this is where we teach new Christians, right? We teach them. We say, listen, you know, when someone is baptized, one of the first things we tell them, for those of you who are baptized, I, I know that when I sat down and explained the gospel to the ones that I've baptized recently, here's what I always tell them. Listen, you're going to be baptized, and what's going to happen is God is going to place His Holy Spirit inside of you. Now, you may not understand that, but that means that God has made a promise to you that He's going to walk with you and dwell with you and help you become the person that He created you to be. And so whenever I teach people about baptism and becoming a Christian, I always teach them also about the process of transformation. Because where God finds us is not where God leaves us. Where God finds us is where He found us. But where He leads us is to transform us and to make us into the image of Jesus Christ. Would you agree? Amen? Okay. So this is what we teach new Christians. We teach them that there is a process of, exp of, of transformation. Now here's what we typically tell people when it comes to the process of transformation. We tell new Christians, hey, listen, you need to go to church. You need to read your Bible. Um, you need to, to get involved. You need to, you know, maybe do some, get involved with the work at the, at the church. You know, we, we do these things, and, and I agree with all of that. I agree that baptism is just the beginning, and, you know, once we're saved, we go through this process of transformation. But here's the problem that I see, and this is the, the, the problem that I'm trying to correct in my preaching for the rest of my life, if I can help it, is that in most modern-day churches, we teach that a person needs to be transformed. We all understand that. All of us know that we need to change, that we need to become more Christ-like in the way that we think and the way that we live. But the problem is, is that in most modern-day churches, we teach that a person needs to be transformed. We preach and teach about things that are right and wrong. We preach and teach about things that we should do and things that we shouldn't do. But often, because we don't understand the gift of the Holy Spirit... And because we don't understand how He works and how He operates in our lives, what we wind up doing is we wind up teaching rules without relationship. We wind up teaching rules without the empowerment. And when you teach people you need to be changed, but you don't model for them how that change happens, or you don't explain to them what to expect as the Spirit takes them through the process of transformation, then it can lead into legalism. Because then it becomes about you making the changes, but the changes don't happen on the inside, they just happen on the outside, and then you become very legalistic in, in, in your approach. I've seen that happen time and time again in our churches. What does the Bible actually teach us? We've got to get back to the way Jesus taught us about these things. And, and what did he teach us? He taught us from the very beginning that he is the one who's in charge of the process of transformation. He that began a good work in you will complete it all the way until the day of its fruition. In other words, what that means is you can't go down to the local bookstore and get a self-help book on trying to be a better Christian and just apply yourself to working really hard and eventually over time you'll get there. That's not the way it works. Now, can the Holy Spirit work through those efforts? Of course He can. But let me tell you something. The less you know 
about the Holy Spirit, the less you have learned how to engage with Him, the less you understand His ways, the less you are able to perceive His, His presence in your life, listen to me, the harder the process of transformation will be in your life. But if you understand the Holy Spirit, if you grow to have a relationship, relationship with Him, if you understand the ways in which He works in your life so that you can learn to pick up on His activity around you and surrender to the things that He's doing in your life, I promise you that the process of transformation will go much quicker and much better and easier in your life. I want you to turn with me to our text this morning, to John chapter 15. John chapter 15, the very famous passage... And I know that you've heard it a lot of times in the past, but, but maybe with all the background, with this whole series now behind it, with the background and, and some of the themes that we've been talking about, maybe you're going to read this passage slightly differently than you've read it in the past. I think that might be the case. I want you to read this text with me. Jesus compares the relationship that he's going to have with his disciples once they have the indwelling Holy Spirit. He compares it to a, a gardener and a vine and branches. And he puts it like this. Let's read it together, starting at verse 1, John 15. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Now, think of Judas here. Remember Judas? He's already dipped his morsel with Jesus. He's already left. He's, at this point, when he's saying these words, he's already back over here with the religious leaders. That's an example of being cut off because he has no fruitfulness, Okay. But you, verse 3, you are already clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Keep reading, verse 5. I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. If you don't remain in me, you're like a, a branch that's thrown away and withers. And such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and they're burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Now this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I've loved you now. Remain there, he says. Remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. I love this passage, man. This is one of my favorite passages in all of the Gospel of John, all the Bible, really, because what Jesus is doing is he's teaching you very, very simply what the process of transformation is. So here's what I want to do. For those of you who are just baptized, I want you to take out a pen and a paper, and I want you to write down these three steps that he's going to outline right here of the process of transformation. Now listen, for those of you who have been baptized for years already, you've already been a Christian for decades, listen, this may be new to you, okay? I want everyone to write down these next three steps because if you did not know that this is how the Spirit of God takes you through the process of transformation, this is going to help you in your journey. It's going to help you be aware of how the Spirit works in your life to transform you and change you into the image of His Son, okay? So we're going to go through this together. Um, this is the same process that, that the apostles went through. 
This is the same process that all the early Christians went through, and this is the exact same process that he intends for you and I to go through this morning. All right, number one, the Holy Spirit's process of transformation from John 15. Here it is, simply. Number one, encounter Jesus through the Holy Spirit. Encounter. That's the main word I want you to focus on there. Encounter. John chapter 15, verse 5, one more time. He says, I'm the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, what will happen? Okay? You will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. The most important thing that you need to remember when it comes to the process of transformation is that it has nothing to do with your work whatsoever. None. Now, does that mean you don't work? No, of course not. We have to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. But He's the one that does the change. He's the one that does the work. He's the one that's constantly doing the first work in your life that, that you need to be aware of of what He's doing. It has nothing to do with your work. It has everything to do with your relationship with Him who lives on the inside of you, you becoming aware and having a relationship with the Holy Spirit, and you learning how to surrender to the work that He's doing in your heart and your life. Jesus says, apart from Him, you can do what? Nothing. Somebody said that good and loud. I love that. Do it again. Nothing, right? Okay. So again, you can't work on being like Jesus, but you can surrender to the process of the Spirit inside of you to make you like Jesus Christ. So as you seek to remain in Jesus, remain in His love through pursuing a love relationship with Him through the Spirit, the one who remains in you, Jesus, who is love, right? Because God is love. He will then begin to reveal Himself to you. This is why I teach 95.5 time. Because 95.5 time in biblical meditation, those two things are just two ways that you can train yourself to learn how to experience the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. To learn how to see Him, to hear Him, to have dreams, to have visions, to have encounters and spiritual experiences with that Holy Spirit. Now, why is that important? Because, like it says in Matthew chapter 13, verse 16, over time you will learn how to use the spiritual senses that God has given you. We each have two sets of senses. You have your physical eyes and ears, and you've got your spiritual eyes and ears. As you learn how to see and hear the voice of the Holy Spirit in your life, He will then begin to open up your spiritual senses. You will begin to see with eyes that see and hear with ears that hear. Or to put it another way, you will begin to have real, tangible experiences of His love for you personally. The branch will experience life that flows through the vine. So step number one, encounter the Spirit. Now, why is that important? Why is encounter so important? It's important because the purpose for the encounter. How do you know that you've had an encounter with the Holy Spirit? Because you are never the same on the other side of it than you were before it. When you have an encounter with the Holy Spirit, it changes you from the inside out. You cannot be the same person after the experience because he does a heart surgery on the inside of you to help you see something that you needed to see or hear something that you needed to hear or to adjust your perspective in a way so that you can understand something or to heal stuff on the inside and in fact here's what i've learned about the holy spirit number two this morning is that the second part of the process of the, of the process of transformation is learning how to surrender to the father's teaching and correction 
in your life. Surrender to the Father's teaching and correction in your life. Here's what I've learned. When I first started having experiences with the Holy Spirit, when I heard His voice in 2009, when dreams and visions started happening later, when I started having words of knowledge and words of wisdom that were coming through the Holy Spirit as I was spending quiet time with Him, 95% of all of the experiences I had were for one thing, and that was to change this guy right here. I was not having dreams and visions about world events and the future and the last days, none of that kind of stuff. What he was revealing was, was how to deal with the stuff on the inside that needed to be healed, that needed to be changed, my perspectives that were wrong, the stuff on the inside. What do we say in CR? The, the hurts, habits, and hang-ups, right? That's the stuff that you can expect when you first start encountering the Spirit that he's going to work on first. Now, why is that? Because the encounters that he gives you are aimed at healing you from your past. God wants to heal you from your hurts, your habits, and your hang-ups. And God will strategically take you through new experiences with him that are designed to convince you of his love for you and to give you perspective on the, the, the past that you've had and the traumas that you've been through, and to bring deep inner healing in ways that you could never experience if God had not taken you through those experiences. So as you encounter Him, guess what happens over time? You learn to trust Him. You learn to trust Him. Because with every encounter that God gives you, it's a revelation of His love for you. He takes you into a deeper place of His relationship with you. Well, guess what? As He takes you through new experiences, over time you learn to trust His heart. See, when we start, we start walking with God, that's where we struggle the most. We, we get to a place where we, we trust God enough for our salvation, but we have a hard time handing over the, reins of our, the rest of our lives to Him because we want to hold on. We want to keep control. And that's because we struggle with trust in the Father. But as He takes you through new experiences with Him, those experiences are designed to show you His love for you. And as you see it, as you feel it, as you experience it, you learn then to let go more and more of your life over to Him. Okay, I call it, when I teach this in a class format, I call it a surrender that's desirable because most people don't like the idea of surrender, but this one you do because you realize the Holy Spirit is creating the perfect scenario for you to let go and heal from the stuff of your past. Jesus said in John 15, verse 1, to, 1 and 2, I am the true vine and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes it so that it will be even more fruitful. The word for pruning in there, in the Greek, literally means to cleanse off. Now, I'm not a gardener. I've tried a few times and failed miserably, okay? So trust me, I've, this is not from personal experience. This is from what I've studied. But for those who grow vines and, and do grapevines, I have studied along those lines. And, and when you have a, a little shoot that's just starting to grow, there may be little nodules, little imperfections on that shoot that start to grow that keeps the sap going into the imperfection as opposed to growing the actual plant, the branch itself, so that it can bear fruit. Does that make sense? And so what you do is you don't cut it off, but you still have to prune it a little bit. And you have to cut off those nodules. You have to cut off the dead pieces. You have to pull apart and away all the dead leaves. And what happens is, is that as you do that over time, more of the sap, the life energy, will flow through that vine, come into the branch, and cause fruit to grow all over the branch. Well, guess what? 
God does the same thing with your life. So often when the father brings that pair of scissors nearby, we, we do what? Pull away. But as we encounter the Holy Spirit, as he reveals himself, as you become convinced of his presence and his love, you become more willing to let him just snip off those things in your life that are holding you down, keeping you back, and keeping the fruit of the Spirit from growing. Okay? All right. Now watch this. As God sees you, surrender your life over to Him. As God watches you grow in relationship with Him, over time, He will begin to reveal to you your spiritual gifts, the calling that He has on your life, and you will begin to naturally experience the overflow with the fruit of the Holy Spirit growing inside of you. Now, you don't need me to go back over that verse. You've heard it a million times. The fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These things will begin to bubble up, percolate from inside of you, and begin to manifest in your life naturally. But not only that, the more and more you surrender your life to the Holy Spirit and the more and more you pick up on being able to hear and see His activity, He will reveal to you your gifts specific spiritual gifts that He's given you and a calling that He's got for your life, things that only you can fulfill in this life. He will reveal that to you so that not only you have a, a, a life to live, but you've got a mission and purpose. Let me ask you a question. Look at this. John 15, verse 5. Well, I got a little ahead of myself there. Okay. In number three of the Holy Spirit's process of transformation is enjoy the fruitful, abundant life. I got ahead of myself, basically. Everything that I just said, just put that above it, okay? Um, he will reveal to you your, your life's mission, your calling, your gifts. He will start fulfilling all the fruit of the Spirit in your life. You will begin to experience abundant life, fruitful life, as a result of surrendering to Him. So let me ask you a question. <laughs> this is a good one. See, if John 15, verse 5... He says, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, he says, you will. Does he say maybe? Possibly? Does he say, well, if you go get a book and work on it a little bit more? No. He says, if you remain in me, become aware of my presence, grow in this internal relationship with me through the Spirit, you will bear much fruit. That's a promise. Now, I don't know about you, but a couple weeks ago, we were talking about the promises of God in Scripture, weren't we? Now, what did he say? You, you, let me ask you this question. If Jesus has appointed us to go and bear much fruit, because skip down to verse 16, that's what he says here. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and I've appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give to you again. If Jesus says, I have appointed you to go and bear fruit, do you think it's God's will for your life to be fruitful, yes or no? Let's try that again. If God says, my will is for you to go and bear fruit, do you think it's God's will for your life to be fruitful? Yes. Amen. Okay, well, remember what we said a few weeks ago about prayer, how prayer really works, how if you pray according to Jesus' will, his life, his mission, Jesus makes a promise. He says it right here. He says, if you pray in my name, I will do it. Do you think this might be one of those things that we should be praying about? Lord, teach me, guide me. 
You know, wake up in the morning and say, Father, show me your ways. Open my eyes so I can see. Open my ears so that I can hear. Give me a greater revelation and experience of your love. Like it says in Ephesians, Lord, help me to know the height and the width and the depth and the breadth of your love. Help me to be grounded in your love so that I might know the hope of the calling that you've given me, Father. Help me to to do whatever heart surgeries you've got to do inside of my heart, to take me through whatever circumstances you've got to take me through in my life, to teach me lessons I can learn nowhere else so that my heart and life can be set free so that I can be used fully for your purposes. Make my life fruitful. That needs to be our prayer. And the promise is, is that if we pray along those lines, what's going to be the answer? He will do it. He will do it. And the reason why Paul says against such things there is no law is because when you learn how to live by the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit, when you're learning how to experience the fruit of the Holy Spirit, you are being lawful. You understand that, right? You're automatically fulfilling the law by living that way, by living a life of love, a holy life. And I wish I could say that learning how to live the abundant life on this earth would result and lead to a very happy life on this earth but guess what it's actually the opposite and this leads me then to the seventh new thing that we can expect as a part of having this gift of the indwelling holy spirit this morning and that is a new life mission a new life mission and i say new life mission because nobody willingly chooses a life of persecution unless they are convinced that the person they are following is true. Because I want to show you something that comes as a result of having this Holy Spirit living on the inside of you. Because just as they hated Jesus in the first century, because they were full of darkness and He was full of light, He was full of the Holy Spirit, Just like that, so too, if you have Jesus living inside of you, if you've got the fruit of the Holy Spirit growing inside of you, if you've got the light of God shining through you to the world around you, then guess what? People are also going to hate you too. They're going to hate you too. And listen to what Jesus says. John 15, verses 18 through 27. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I've chosen you out of the world. That's why the world hates you. Remember what I told you, a servant's not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they'll persecute you too. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, because of my life, my mission, and my purpose. For they do not know the one who sent me. Now, skip to the very next chapter. Jesus continues. All this I've told you so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anybody who kills you will think that they're offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I've told you this so that when their time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. I didn't tell you this from the beginning because I was with you. But now I'm going to him who sent me. None of you ask where you're going. Where are you going? Rather, you are filled with grief because I've said these things. But very truly I say to you, it is for your good that I'm going away because unless I go away, the Advocate, the Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now watch this. 
Last part of the verse. I didn't record it correctly up there. I apologize. It's verses 8 and 9. Um, verses 8 and 9. Listen to this. When He comes, this is the Holy Spirit, He will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin, because people don't believe in me. About righteousness, because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. So as we close, I want to say this. When we start to really look at the many wonderful things that the Holy Spirit has given us, the many wonderful things that come as a result of this Spirit living inside of us, we learn that one of the most incredible things that He does for us is that He takes us through encounters with Him that are aimed to heal us and set us free. And as we learn how to walk in surrender and freedom, we experience all the fruit of the Spirit. Our lives truly do become abundant. We start to experience the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. He reveals our mission, our calling, our gifts. The light of Jesus begins to shine brightly in a very dark world around us. But then also this, remember, Jesus said in John 16, 8-19, that the Spirit's presence in us brings conviction to them. Now listen to what I just said. The Spirit's presence in us brings a conviction of sin and righteousness and judgment. And some people are going to look at you and they're going to see the light radiating out of your life and they're going to be drawn to that because they're drawn to Jesus. And that's one of the ways that the Holy Spirit's going to appeal to the world around you is because He's going to do it through you. They're going to be drawn to the light because they're drawn to Jesus Christ. But other people, when they're around you, because of the light that's shining through you, they're going to feel a conviction of sin, a conviction of unbelief because of their life choices. They're going to see the righteous life that you're living and they're going to feel judgment, not because you're judging them, but because your righteous life stands as a living testimony to the error that they're living in. And it's not anything you've done whatsoever. It's the Spirit Himself who's brought conviction on that person. Now, some of them will repent and come to the light because they want what you have. But other people, when they see that light, they will rebel against it wholeheartedly and they will persecute you. So thank God, up until this point in life, we have not had to experience persecution in this nation. I, I pray that that does not change. I sense and fear that it may be changing. But the question is, do you want this gift? This gift that, that just keeps on giving. Do you want this gift? Well, listen, if you are baptized in Jesus Christ, you already have this gift. But maybe you just haven't started to get to know Him better, and He wants you to get to know Him better. But if you're not baptized, then this is an opportunity for you to receive the greatest gift that's ever been given, the gift of eternal life. So if that is your invitation, then come forward right now as we stand and sing.